Our primary scripture reading today will be Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. We'll be visiting some, some other texts, uh, so I would encourage you all to follow along uh, in your own Bibles as, as we read. But again, our primary passage that we're going to be looking at here is Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Now, as you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word to recognize his authority over our lives? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is God's word. You may be seated. Hearing me yet? Good morning. Good morning. My name is Scott. Uh, I serve as an elder here at Christ Community, and I'm excited to get to talk about prayer this morning. Uh, I kind of wish I'd thought about the fact that the kids would all be in here, because I might have I might have changed a few things, but uh, that's all right. Hopefully, you'll enjoy it too, kids. Um, I Since the last time I was here, I've spent time in California and Indiana and Tennessee, and man, is it good to be home. I was so tired last night. I crawled into bed at about 8 o'clock, and I opened my Kindle, and I think I got six pages in, and then I slept for like 10 hours. When was the last time I did that? That's crazy. It's good to be here, and good to be here this morning to get into the Word. <clears throat> so we're doing a short series here on spiritual formation, and I want to start by talking about formation. You are being formed by things every day. In fact, there are people in the world whose full-time job is to strategize and execute plans to shape and form you. App developers and software designers work to design their products to maximize the amount of time you spend in their app. Marketing and advertising firms pump out texts, images, and video designed to make you think that your life is incomplete without their product or service. Politicians craft messages and policies and laws to shape whole societies after their ideals. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of these people are doing that for nefarious purposes. Some of them are trying to shape people to do the right things for the right reasons. My point is, though, that you are being shaped by your surroundings. Everything you read and watch and use And listen to the people you talk to, the products you consume, they all shape you. Now certainly some of those influences are more effective than others. I think the podcasts I listen to probably shape me more than the soap that I use. But I think you get my point. We're surrounded by influences that are seeking to shape us. And part of what we're trying to say in this short series on formation is that we need to be proactive about our formation. If we don't intentionally work at our spiritual formation, we will simply be shaped by all that is around us. And some of that will be for our good, but an awful lot of that will not be for our good. I'll actually take it one step further. Because of the reality of there being so many spiritually negative influences around you in your daily life, it takes extra effort to even just stay put spiritually. 
let alone move forward. Kind of like canoeing upstream. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, but when you canoe upstream, you have to paddle and exert a certain amount of energy just to stay put because you're going against the current. If you stop paddling, you don't just stagnate, but you actually start flowing backwards with the flow of water. And I would say we're at that point in our culture where if we're not putting in intentional effort, we don't just stagnate, but we actually start sliding backwards spiritually. And there are certainly a lot of things that we could cover in a series like this on spiritual formation, but we're keeping it relatively short and just covering some of the most foundational practices for our spiritual formation. Last Sunday, Craig talked about being in the Word of God. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about prayer. Now, there are a lot of different directions that I could take in regards to prayer. We could talk about how important prayer is. We could talk about how to pray, when to pray, how much to pray, why prayer works. Lots of angles that you could take. But here's the deal. I don't remember talking to very many Christians over the last, gosh, 30 years that I've been walking with Jesus where someone said, you know, I'm really satisfied with my prayer life. I'm doing great. I know I'm not. I would like to pray more consistently. I struggle to stay focused. Within moments, sometimes, I can find my mind wandering when I'm intending to pray. I want to be a whole lot less selfish in the way that I pray. When I tell people that I'm going to pray for them, I've gotten in the habit of doing it immediately because otherwise I forget. I want my prayer life to include more stillness, allowing me time to just listen and react and worship. I could keep going. It's a, it's a long list. And based on many conversations I've had, I'm not alone in my struggle with prayer. I doubt that I need to convince many of you of the value of growing your prayer life either. So after thinking through some of the different options, I landed on talking about how it is that we can approach God in prayer. Because I don't need to convince you of your need to approach him. I thought that by exploring how the scripture says we can do that, it might help us move prayer from the I want to do it to the doing it category. Now typically when we preach here at Christ Community, we ground ourselves in one passage and our intent as, as preachers and teachers is to take the main point of the passage and make that the main point of the sermon. And that's not going to change. But I am doing something a little different this morning. Instead of camping in one text and allowing that to inform what I say, I'm going to look at actually three different passages on prayer in an effort to highlight a thread that runs through all three of them. And you'll pick it up pretty quickly. The Bible presents to us a picture of a God who hears us. Not reluctantly, he actually wants to hear from us. In fact, I think we can go so far as to say he's enthusiastic. He is eager to have us come to him and talk to him. To make that case, we'll look at three different passages that all talk about how it is that we can approach God. But before I look at the first one, Let's pray, right? Jesus, oh, thank you that we can come before you. 
Your presence is real. And when we come to talk to you, we're actually doing that. We are talking to you. Got to pray that as I walk through what I've prepared to say this morning, that it would be of great encouragement to all of us. It would motivate us to spend time with you. God, I pray that in these coming weeks and months and even years, that our prayer lives would in fact grow, that we would develop more consistent rhythms, more depth in our connecting with you. Thank you for giving us access. In Jesus' name, amen. The first passage I want to look at presents the idea that we approach him for relationship. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. I know we just read it, but it's short, so I'll reread it here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. The writer of Hebrews starts here with a lot of references to Judaism that I ought to explain. The holy place that he says we can enter with confidence is a reference to the sanctuary for the Jewish temple. You can picture the Jewish temple as a series of nested rectangles, It's a little oversimplification, but it'll help you kind of understand what you have here. There was an outer section where anyone was allowed. Jewish, Gentile, anyone was allowed there. Then within that rectangle is another rectangle, and only Jews were allowed inside that next one. And then there's another one where only Jewish men were allowed. And then there's another one where only priests were allowed. And within that rectangle you had the actual temple. And that temple was split in half. There were two sections. One was called the holy place, and then there was this really thick curtain, and behind that curtain was the most holy place. And the door to that building came through the holy place, and then the curtain, and then the most holy place. And only priests were allowed in there who had specific duties. And behind that curtain, only one priest was allowed. and He was only allowed once a year. So as you hear that, the picture you get of all of these concentric rectangles and the limitations of who was allowed and the limitations of how often they could go, it gives you a sense of barrier, doesn't it? If I wasn't in that select group, I wasn't allowed past this certain point. And even the person who was allowed all the way, he was just allowed one time a year. Do you know what the New Testament says happened to that curtain, that final barrier? What happened to that curtain when Jesus died on the cross? The scripture tells it was torn in two from top to bottom. God tore that curtain apart. The barrier between us and the presence of God was torn apart by God through Christ and what he did on the cross. That curtain which symbolized a barrier between the throne of God on earth and all of humanity was ripped in two. We have access to the presence of God. That's why the author of Hebrews could come on the scene here and say, 
that we can enter the very presence of God with confidence because Jesus has made a way for us. The barrier that was keeping us from God, not the curtain, but our rebellion, that has been dealt with on the cross and access to God has been granted. Not just to a few priests, but to everyone who has been cleansed by the blood of Christ. So this text is saying that since this is true, and since we have this great high priest, we'll talk about that a little bit here in a minute, the author implores us to draw near to God. In other words, since that barrier is removed, we get to draw near. We get to be in a relationship. We get to connect with God. There's nothing standing in the way, so don't just stand there, but draw near. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't wait, draw near. And prayer is one of the primary ways that we experience this relationship with God. See, apart from communication, relationship is really a sham. We all have friends on social media that we don't have any real interaction with. And it's not that we don't care about them, it's not that we don't like them, but we're not really in a relationship with them. If you're not communicating with someone, it's not a real relationship. To think that I could draw near to God without talking to him is ridiculous. See, we need to not think of prayer as a means of getting stuff or as a means of getting stuff done. Yes, God answers prayer, and we should bring our needs and our requests to him. But we need to think of prayer more like a coffee date than the passing on of a to-do list. That's hard for people who really like to get stuff done. I know, I'm one of those people. It's hard to think about prayer as being primarily a means of relationship. But when we think about how our prayer life is going... I think the question we really ought to be asking ourselves is, as I pray, how well am I connecting with God? Am I experiencing his presence? Am I refreshed by the reality of being with him? We approach God to connect with him. We approach God to draw near. We approach him for relationship. I'm going to try to make this particularly practical when I get to the end of my sermon. And so I'm going to give some ideas of what that could look like in our daily lives. But for now, let me move on to the second passage that we're looking at. It's even shorter than the last one. This is Ephesians 3.12. It has another great description of how we can approach God. It says, in whom, or in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the direct opposite of how I, in my natural state, would assume that I would be able to approach the throne of God. We've probably all seen a a movie or a show that had a king in it. And in that show, there was a character who approached the king in this very awkward way, right? They would... They would bow a lot, they would, they would say your highness over and over, and they'd say yes, 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 and whatever you say, absolutely, 
And kind of that response of extreme power and not power, right? And they're just fearful and subservient in that way. That's how I would naturally assume that I would need to approach God. He is so much greater than I. He has all power. He's the standard of perfection. He knows everything. That means he knows all the ways that I don't meet that standard of perfection. He knows every word that I'm about to say. Before a word is on my tongue, he knows it completely. But instead of this kind of sniveling approach of, oh, we are actually invited guests. In all three of the texts we're going to look at this morning, we're going to find this term confidence, that I can approach God with confidence. I can come before him boldly. Now, don't get me wrong. We are to have the utmost reverence for God. He is just who I said he was. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. Our being able to approach him with confidence doesn't diminish him in any way. What it does is elevate what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. My ability to approach him isn't because he is less than I was saying he is or that I'm more than I'm saying I am. But what Jesus has done is incredible to give me that access. It is only through Jesus that we have that kind of access. We normally hear people end their prayers with the words, in Jesus' name. You've probably said that yourself, even if you don't know why. I certainly didn't for the longest time know why we said that at the end of prayers. It's just what we did. The reason we say that is that our standing before God, the only reason I have any right to be standing in the throne room of God talking to him is because of Jesus and what he has done. I'm standing there on his shoulders, in a sense, in his name. That's why I can come before him. Our connection with Jesus. So what does it look like for us to have confidence and boldness before God? I think a lot of it comes down to speaking our mind. When you process your day with him, or talk through how you're feeling about a situation, be honest. When you talk about what you want to see God do, tell him what you really think. When you're upset, be upset. If you're excited, be excited. If you're feeling helpless, cry out to God. If you're confused, tell him. Newsflash, you can't keep anything a secret from God. He already knows it. But there's a big difference between knowing that he knows it and being willing to be honest with where you're at. Because of Jesus, we can go before him with confident boldness. We can go before him with freedom. So we approach him for relationship. We approach him with boldness and confidence. And the third one third passage we'll look at tells us that we can approach him in our desperate need. This is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So again, we see this theme of approaching the throne of grace with confidence. But the context this time is coming to God in our great need. The reason given for our ability to approach God in our time of need is that Jesus is our great high priest. Earlier, I talked about the temple and there being just one guy once a year who got to go into the most holy place. That guy's title was the high priest. The point here is that as our high priest, Jesus is able to sympathize with us. He understands where we're coming from. He knows what it's like to be human. He has been hungry. He has been tired. He has been physically weak. He has been laughed at and beat up and abandoned and betrayed by his friends. He's experienced disappointment, sadness, and loss. He had parents who didn't understand him, and he even longed that God's plan would be different than it was at one point. He has been tempted, but he never gave in. And that means he experienced the fullest extent of temptation. We could never go to Jesus and say, you don't understand me because you've never been there. That's precisely the point. He has been there. He knows what it's like. And we can approach him because he knows what it's like to be us. Have you ever tried to talk to someone about pain in your life only to discover that they've never experienced pain themselves? I don't mean the same pain necessarily. Any old pain would do. Those are the people who end up saying some platitude that, though true, isn't particularly helpful in the moment. You know, God is in control. Yeah, but I don't need to hear that right now. (laughs) I need someone to cry with me. I need someone to weep with me and mourn with me. Jesus is our great high priest, and he can sympathize with us so we can approach him and the throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. He is actually able to give us what we need most, grace and mercy. In the months and now years since my son Jaden died, this experience of desperate need has been dramatically more real than ever before in my life. I have historically tended to feel like I could juggle a lot of things in my life. But life and grief and responsibilities have often felt way over my head these past four years. But you know, even in the hospital, the realization that God was well acquainted with the pain of watching his son die was such an incredible comfort. It's something I clung to then, and it's something I still cling to today. And I have received so much grace and mercy as I have and continue to go to him 
in my great need. The reality, though, is that my great need doesn't always feel great and glaring. My awareness of that need isn't always great. What I'm trying to say is that even if I don't feel desperately needy, I actually am. We actually are. You don't need to have something horrible happen in your life to recognize your desperate need for God. We're always desperately needy. We approach God for a relationship. We can approach him with confidence and we approach him in our great need. Like Craig did last week, I want to close by taking this as practical as I can and making it kind of down-to-earth stuff. So I'm going to make some suggestions about ways you might want to apply these principles. But here's the deal with application. The more specific I make it, the less biblical it becomes. What I mean is this. I can tell you, you need to pray. The Bible tells you you need to pray. But as soon as I say, you you might want to consider praying in the morning to start your day. Well, that's not actually a biblical command anymore. Now, the Bible tells you to pray at all times, and that includes the morning, so maybe you could get there. But like, the more specific I get, the more suggestive they become. Okay? So I'm going to make suggestions of ways you could apply this into your prayer life, which you are supposed to have. But these aren't all biblical commands that I'm about to give you. Okay? They're suggestions of how you might apply this call to connect with God relationally through prayer, okay? So what would it look like for you to approach God for relationship this week? And I'm going to all couch them in the context of this week, but obviously you should keep praying, and I would suggest you keep praying in these ways after this week, but I just want you to feel like, oh, I could do that this week. I can take that step. What would it look like for you to approach God for relationship this week? Try taking a few minutes specifically to talk to God about your day. Process what went on during your day. How did things go? Talk to God about how you are feeling emotionally about your day and about the things going on in it. Talk to him about how you feel like your relationship is going with him. Do you feel near? Do you feel far? Talk to him about that. Take some time this week to ponder his character And allow the awareness of who God is to draw you into worship of him. Don't metaphorically sew that curtain shut, right? You have access. Talk to him. Experience the reality of the nearness of God. What could it look like for you to approach God with confident boldness this week? Well, be honest. Tell God how you're actually feeling. Is there anything in your life that you have not been talking to God about because you think it's going to make you look bad? He knows. Talk to him. Are there things that you feel incredibly needy for? Confidently go before him and tell him those things. He knows what's best. He's not obliged to give you what you want. He knows what's best for you. But he wants to hear from you. Walk up to the throne of grace like you belong there because you do. He has opened the way. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to give you access to God. You are an invited guest. 
and he wants to hear from you. What would it look like for you to approach God in your desperation? He really does want you to come to him with your burdens. <clears throat> it's not going to be on the screen, but Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants you to bring your burdens. He wants you to come before him. Don't shun him in that. Don't just say, yep, I got them. They're on my back. He wants you to yoke with him and experience the lightness of that yoke. Go to him with your burdens. As you pray this week, put the big things on the table. Talk to him about your greatest longings. Talk to him about your biggest fears. Talk to him about the things that get you upset. Know that God can sympathize. He has been in your shoes. Let me pray. God, I am so grateful that what Jesus accomplished on the cross gave me access to your throne. That I can come before you and lay before you the things that I care about, the things that I'm fearful of. God, I pray that we would do just that. Lord, grow us. Grow us. My words, the things that I've said can't do that, but you can. Would you give us a a recognition of the invitation and that that invitation would feel so precious to us that we can come before you and spend time with you? God, I pray that even this week we would start taking steps that would build habits, that would build a lifetime of prayer. You're worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.